Hi, I'm Ann Faison, and this is Are We There Yet? Understanding Adolescent Grief. Today's guest is someone I've known a long time. We share many mutual friends, and I'd venture to say we've always liked each other. True. <laughs> looking back, <laughs> looking back, I think um, it might have been because I always knew that your parent had died, and I don't know if your mom died when you were 17. Yes. Is that it? Okay. And um, so where was, you grew up in LA, but where specifically did you grow up? Actually, I didn't grow up in Los Angeles. I grew up in San Antonio, Texas. Um, Oh my gosh. I never knew that. Yeah. I'm Texan. Okay. I I can start drawing, drawing and drawing. (laughs) I can draw too, but um yeah, yeah yeah growing up growing up in in San Antonio in um in a Mexican American family mm-hmm. in you know the 70s and 80s that's yeah. me and you said your mom uh, was first generation from Mexico she was she um the family she was born in Laredo Texas and oh, okay. um and she's first generation there mm-hmm. um the and then my my grandmother was born in Mexico. Okay. And and so so we grew up very very definitely Latino, you know, speaking Spanish in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so that was that was what I was used to. San Antonio is also a very pro- predominantly Latino city. Right. And um, and so so it didn't feel didn't feel odd or different. Um, even though I felt myself odd and different, <laughs> my my culture, I was surrounded by people of my culture when I was growing up. I see. And what about your dad? Well, my father, I um, I never really knew him very well. Um, my parents divorced when I was approximately six months old, and I was born in San Juan, Puerto Rico, and they divorced, um, yes, because of, you know, because of... The things that happened, they, they, it was a very dramatic separation. My, my mother moved from San Juan back to San Antonio when I was raised there within a very, you know, very tight knit, um, you know, Mexican American family, lots and lots of people, lots of, lots of, you know, I just remember relatives constantly, even though it was basically just me and my mother, um, I was always very, very surrounded by family. That's that's so good, and I would think that would come in really, become really important when, um, yeah, when your mother died. You know, you would think, and I think because of my my personal situation and my mother's situation, she was kind of a, a black sheep of the family, and so, so um, I was I was raised to, you know, in the middle of this Mexican American family, but also raised to keep secrets mm. because my mother was always going out. My mother had a very active, um, you know, life apart from, from her being my mother. And, mm. and so that was something that was always, I understood from a very, very early age that it was just me and her against sometimes our family and that there are things that I couldn't tell anybody. So, um, so that sort of set up a very unusual dynamic in that as safe as I felt with my, with my family, I also knew that there were not safe topics 
and there were things mm-hmm. that that I had to I had to keep very very close to the vest, and that's that's a pretty hard burden on a kid. No kidding. Um, and is that do you feel like that was the case since you can remember like the whole your whole childhood? Absolutely. I remember from the very like my earliest thoughts were ones of of what can I say, what can I not say. Um, as a result, I. I can identify shame as as a constant from a very very early age. Um, I I felt very different because my mother was single. I felt very different because she was a working mother and because she was a very she was a sexually active you know woman, and and that just felt at the time so problematic for me as as a kid I was like what I, I don't get cookies when right. I come home there's nobody waiting for me you know what, what do you mean mm-hmm. so so I I did feel in in a way that 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 I had to keep that part of my life very very separate from once I started going to school and having friends even even like kindergarten I wouldn't invite kids over I felt it was too unusual right and can I ask, uh, what were the circumstances of your mom's death? Was she ill or what happened? It was very sudden. I left um, after my my high school graduation to finally meet my father's family in Puerto Rico. And um, I, I was only there for a week and my aunt called and she said, you have to come back now because your mother has a brain tumor. And so you have to fly back immediately because they're going to operate on her. And I just, I, I didn't understand. I didn't understand the gravity of it. And now I can identify that as just disassociation and shock. But then I was, I didn't want to go. And I thought that, that they were asking something unreasonable of me, but, um, but I, you know, I didn't really have a say in the matter. I was put on a plane. And thank goodness, because um, I got back to San Antonio, was taken immediately to the hospital from the airport, and I only had about about four hours with my mother before she was taken to um, you know to surgery, and and this was in the mid '80s, and it, it was brutal. It was a 17-hour brain surgery. And um, she had a stroke during the surgery, and um, she was strong. She she was actually recovering, My. but um, but a month about a month after after the surgery, she a, a, um, she had a an embolism an embolus from her leg. She um, went into um, her lungs, and she she died. And so was she at home when that happened, or was she at the hospital? She was in the hospital. Okay. We, we, you know, there was, there was a, you know, a constant, you know, vigil. All of us were always at the hospital. And that was the one day when my brother and I, I have a a half brother and he was very young. We're 10 years apart Mm. and we were at home. And I remember my aunt was there and I heard uh, the phone rang. My aunt answered it and started screaming. Mm. And then my and I was on the floor with my little brother. I believe we were pay- playing cards. I, you know, I I just remember us both being on the same level and looking at each other. Mm. Yes, very interesting. <laughs> but I I remember seeing him on the same level, eye to eye, and we just looked at each other. 
and 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 I don't have much of a memory after that. I just remember being in sort of a fugue state. Um, the next, actually, the next year was very very cloudy for me. Right. Yeah. No, that's so common. And I, I it's interesting to me, like when um, you know that trauma of just hearing that something had happened and sort of knowing probably on some gut level um, what it was about and, and having like that crystal clear picture of what happened. It's sort of like when people say like, I know exactly where I was when, you know, this huge thing happened, you, you have a Mm -hmm. kind of frozen moment and then it's, and then after that, it's sort of gone. Um, So then how did you end up in LA? Was it to go to school or did your family somehow get you here? Yeah, Yeah. I, um, it was me. I was just like, I was, after my mother's death, I had planned, I had planned to go to New York. I was, I was going to go to acting school there. Um, but everything, everything fell apart for me. And I just didn't have, have the wherewithal to put the pieces back together. And, and my family was so busy putting themselves back together mm. um, and grieving themselves that that I, you know, there wasn't any time for me. And because I think I always presented as very, very, um, very contained, like mm. like somebody who just always had her own thoughts, her own ways, her own mannerisms. And and I sort of stood a bit apart from the rest of my family probably because I always had to have secrets from them. Um, I, you know, I, I, I was seen as more self-sufficient, but um, the, I stayed in San Antonio for two years, just not knowing what to do, going to lots of clubs, going to lots of shows. Um, And then I finally just, just decided that I needed to start acting again. So I just joined a, a theater company and it happened to be a really fantastic one and after a few months there the director was like you have to audition for cal arts you've got it you've got to leave san antonio this is not a good place for you you're you know let's get you into a great acting program and so i I just i i you know auditioned and and once i once i got to cal arts i i just felt okay game on so just going back to that the early parts, like those first couple of years, your family, when you say they were, um, they were all grieving, like, what did that look like? How how did you sort of perceive that as a teenager? Well, it was very, it was incredibly, um, like operatic Mm. is, is, you know, it's the only word that's fit for, for what that kind of grief is. My family is, you know, what I would what I would see as a very normal Mexican American family, and and the emotions are expressed in a much in a big way, and and there was always lots of lots of expression and lots of talking over each other, lots of you know lots of big feelings and lots of lots of you know if there was conflict, it was played out in front of everybody. If um, if there was love, that love was seen really really largely in front of everybody. And so this this grief, it was compounded because my grandmother, who is the, the sort of the she was the eldest sister of three and three sisters. And and this was a, a you know, a large, large family that she was the head of, right. basically. 
And um, she had lost um, one of her three daughters uh, um, earlier. So, so my aunt uh, Hilda died when she was 19 and that created an enormous, just well of grief for my grandmother. And then my grandmother losing my mother, Diana, when, when Diana was 42, it, it just opened up a hole that, um, that my grandmother fell down and re really could never, could never totally recover from. And so the experience in that household, especially for those two years right after the death, was it was very dark, lots of crying, wailing, I, and, and conversations always being brought back to, to what happened and why, asking God why. These questions that can't be answered, but there was never any, any thought to how do we move through this? There was just being there with it, and and everybody had to be there with it, and and I was so so destroyed that that I didn't I didn't know how to get from one place to another basically because I knew that that I couldn't I couldn't do what my grandmother was doing, and then I couldn't do the opposite, which was just leave and go to school like you were planning. So I sat in this in this really dark, very theatrically dramatic display of grief that was surrounding me for quite a while, mm. quite a while until until I started acting again. So you were into acting before your mother died. Yes, I um in in high school I was a drama geek. I was just like ah. such a yes I I I was. I was a very, very excited actor. Um, mm. Acting was acting. It's it's so funny because when I think about like the secrecy and a childhood that was spent in fantasy, largely, you know, this sort of like free floating, you know, sort of like benign, you know, disassociation from reality. <laughs> it, right. um, it, it really gave me a wonderful launching pad to you know to come into a world of theater and i found such a home there and i was really good at disappearing into a character i always wanted to run away from from the event that that i experienced and disappear into something else mm. that was really fun for me i mean and that to me sounds like such a good tool to have um as a teenager who lost her mom to you know have the resources to actually have some of those feelings and express them in a way that's public. I mean, I'm not talking about right away, but like through the years, that yeah. seems to me that it would be a healthy thing. You know, it's, it's funny because I think it was, I actually think it was life-saving. Um, mm -hmm. After my mother died, the, the ability to know that I could, and, and, and again, um, it, this happened when I graduated from high school and so many of my friends had left to college and were going on to other lives. So I was alone and I really wasn't making new, you know, a new situation or a new life for myself. I felt it was disrespectful and, and you know, to my family to just leave. And I also, I didn't, I didn't have any sort of idea what I should do. So I did know that acting would help me 
And so, and it did when I started, started, you know, doing theater again, it was something that was incredibly healing because I wasn't in the immediacy of my grief. I could, I could work through emotions, through character. I could, um, and, and also I had, I had people surrounding me that, that where we could very easily talk about emotions. We could, even if they weren't the emotions that I was feeling primarily and needed to work through, just talking about what emotions characters were feeling or doing scene studies or doing, doing rehearsals. It was like a kind of exercise that I needed. It sounds like it. And I have a, I have a kind of a particular question now that this is bringing up for me. Um, because I think there's such a contrast between what you're talking about, like in a theater, theater setting where you're working with other actors and they're not your family, um, between that where you can work through your emotions in this almost more anonymous way, and then the contrast between that and being at home where it's all about everyone's grief and you as a teenager, I would, I'm just curious, like how you felt at home in that sort of dark drama laden, um, place of, of your family's grief, like how you felt in that space. Did like, just talk to me a little bit about that. I like this question because it's, 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 um, there's so many layers to it because I, it felt, it felt suffocating, but, but it also felt in a way, you know, connected. It felt like we were all feeling this one thing for this, for this one person who we all loved. So I was very connected to them, but I was also so afraid of these feelings because they they seemed like they would eat me alive that they would engulf me and so i began a process of you know just i mean i was always a very social kid and i was i wasn't at home a lot during high school because of rehearsals and i would do theater competitions and things like that but but um i just started going out a lot i started you know you know not not being home as much as possible and nobody really noticed because because you know because they were they were working through their own their own experience and 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 so um, and it was the 1980s <laughs> <laughs> yes nobody kept tabs <laughs> no one was keeping tabs on the teenagers in the 1980s no not at all not at so all this is, it's amazing how far we roamed and this is such a a place where our stories kind of overlap because um i got i similarly was um an escape artist from my home in the wake of my mom's death and i similarly you know found a lot of refuge in clubs and dark places where people were screaming their heads off um and i could scream my head off and but I'm curious, like, it's funny because my family culture was so much more subdued. And like when you say, you know, your aunt got the phone call and started screaming, like that would never happen in my family. There would never be screaming. It was barely anyone rose their voice over a whisper, you know, and no public displays mm -hmm. of crying. So um, to me, like being in a club was like this freedom of like letting stuff out, you know, 
Um, so I'm yeah. curious for you, like, it sounds like it was similarly an escape, but also um, did you feel like it was also just like an outlet or just more something that was different? Well, it was an outlet in a way because everybody had their grief that was so large that I didn't feel any, any, that there was room for mine. So, so I got to experience, you know, this, this world where there was consolidated joy and grief and anger and, and just, just like all the emotions of kids being in rooms together. And, and that, that felt, that felt like I was a part of something again, um, that wasn't what was happening at home because it did always feel like no room for me. And that stuff is way too dark because no matter, no matter as, you know, as dark as we could get in the clubs, you always knew that, you know, all right, well, I'm going to go home. There's something, there's something, you know, after this, but I would go home and oftentimes like I would, I would sleep outside because I would not want to go inside my grandmother's house. Wow. I would, you know, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I, I would just like, you know, be there on the lawn just like with, with little bottles of vodka because I was drinking a lot and I would wake up and I would have to clean all, all of that up, my little nest. And finally just like gather myself to go back into the house and like have a bowl of cereal with the family. I mean, the, the, the way that kids can consume (laughs) like, drugs and alcohol and then still get through the day is pretty astounding um it's bonkers I mean, it's bonkers it's... i can't because being it san antonio is is and i mean i don't know it well anymore but in the 80s san antonio in the mid 80s was a super super gay town um it was just like fantastic to go to like you know gay clubs and we were all let in all the time and dance and and just just like have have like tons and tons of fun and and then go see a show and there was there was always there was always something something really really wonderfully embracing that seemed to be happening especially in this in this little gay world of San Antonio that that held me as as a girl um and and it was and it sort of dovetailed with my theater it and and it made me feel like that was that was my real family that um that my my biological family and these people who were so you know destroyed with grief I was still wanting a life. I, I was still wanting to see some hope and a possibility of a future. And I found that in in this in this community, which really, really, you know, embraced me, would listen to me, um, never never othered me. Always, I, I so so I really found such a a home, you know, in in those in those clubs. Mm. I love that. Can you remember like a particular song or band that meant a lot to you in those days? Oh my God. <laughs> it's so fun. Bauhaus, oh. you know, the, the pretend, well, you know, the, in the eighties, because everything was so, was so together, you know, there was, there wasn't really a ton of separation, like, oh, like, 
like you you couldn't just be hardcore because you were all your friends were also new wave and there was also like you're watching MTV and and Billy Squire next to Madonna next to you know yeah. Gary Newman <laughs> so there was like it's and and being in San Antonio where we just got we just got what we got we got what came through right so we couldn't be too picky so I really loved everything mm. and wanted to see every band that that came through um and but usually we'd have to go to austin for that okay but um <laughs> my particular like i i loved i loved x i loved um back then there was the first time i heard like like this little band called the chili peppers you know like we would just like really revere anything that came from anywhere else yeah. Um, so, so it felt it always everything felt so exotic, but in the clubs, dancing to um, the Cure, mm. and and oh, um, I loved the Cure, and I loved X. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, and yeah. I think and yeah, just dancing I, was so important to me too. I think dancing is such a good release for you know. Um, emotions and just getting things moving through your body i'm i'm so glad i had yeah. that you know me too yeah. and i and i was really glad that there were i mean i think that most kids you know they'll find they'll find people to sort of emulate and to be when you don't know who you who you are or who you might want to be so like i just like saw like the go-go's mm. like i was like yes that I mean, and that time, I feel like music was um, so explosive. The scenes would just sort of explode out and there'd be bands that would just get like so big, so fast. And the excitement yeah. of that time, because it was so much about invention and newness. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think we, I don't know about you. I, I, in the, in the time I did appreciate that we were coming out of a very fallow period you know, like when punk mm -hmm. kind of happened, it felt like such a contrast to what was on the radio. And, you know, you couldn't hear punk on the radio. They just wouldn't play it. So yeah. it was such a contrast yeah. between that and what they were playing on the radio. So it felt so underground. And all of that to me was, um, in a way, when I look back on it, such a kind of a great metaphor for what I was trying to kind of excavate out of my own system was like, what's deep and dark and inside, you know, was, was being yes. brought to light, you know? Yeah. Yes. And I, I love that you say that because I did feel like, like the sounds and I knew that, that, that listening to that kind of music felt good yeah. and being in those kinds of places with people who like also felt, felt alien and hurt. That's what I mean. Felt really good. I think there was that, like the, camaraderie I know that a lot of the people that I was meeting were also coming to that scene from a place of yeah had something going on in their life that was hard you know because mm -hmm. a lot of my friends didn't or weren't that into that music they were like oh yeah it's, it's okay you know whatever kind of weird you know where I was just like no it's everything you know yeah <laughs> it became almost like a religion like I felt like music was my religion Yes. Well, it's so funny because when when I was in when I was in high school, I think I was about 16, 15, 16. This was must have been like 81 or 1980. 
um, there was this wonderful guy I knew. He was just like my soulmate. He, one day, we I was in his apartment in Austin, and he played I Don't Like Mondays by the Boomtown Rats. Mm. And I, I did not know what to do with myself. I, I, I was, I could not believe what I was hearing and I, I wanted more. I just wanted more of, of something that sounded that, you know, that, that dramatic and depressing because it's so funny in some way that dovetailed with my experience of life. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, so extreme, so dark, so, so terrible but you know, like I'm, you know, I'm I'm a girl whose stepfather was was arrested by federal narcotics agents and had to go to federal prison. So, you know, there was so much in my experience that was completely other, mm. and and the music that was happening sort of made me feel like okay, other people understand this. Yeah, even if they're not going through with it, they see the extreme nature of what kids can be going through these days. And they're reflecting it back at us. Right. And it's funny, like, that everything that's happened the last couple of years now, you know, and I have teenagers, and I'm sort of like, in a way, I'm kind of, I hope for them that they can find something that, um, th that new and that exciting and that dark, and, you know, twist it oh. to kind of relate to all of the things that are going on um, for them. You know, I'm sort of like, when's the when's the next radical musical thing going to happen? I mean, it's a different world now. So how people find their music is so different. Um, right. But, you know, my my younger kid has definitely gotten into some stuff that I find pretty grating. <laughs> <laughs> good that's a good sign i agree that's a really good sign i agree um, i know if we hate it it's bound to be awesome it's bound to be good yeah um this is so great i love talking to you about this um but i have some other questions a little bit about yeah. the adults around you like were there some adults around you after your mom died who you felt like were supportive of you saw you a place where you could talk about what was going on with you not in my family um but but yes in um my my high school theater director because mm -hmm. i was still in san antonio he was a lovely man and um and he was very empathetic and and i would I would talk to him often and he did, he held a lot of space for me. Um, but that way he was the only adult that I felt safe talking to about a small portion of this. To be very, very honest, I never spoke to anybody about any of the stuff that happened to me in my, in my life in totality until I met um, my ex-husband at school mm. at CalArts. And, and even then, those things came out in dribs and drabs very slowly over years. Because I, I, I still, I'm a secret keeper. And there's something in me that will always think that, that I need to hide, hide that stuff that's just like, that's like so... 
it's 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 too dark even even for a punk club <laughs> it's like it's like it's it's too mushy it's too it's too it's too much of a crying jag you know like all of those things that um i just feel that i i'm i would be essentially unlovable if if people knew the depths of of my of my despair Mm -hmm. and and the stuff that happened to me that was just so not normal right and you're talking about before your mom died yeah yeah I mean there was my mother was so fantastic in many ways but she made some choices that were you know that did that did put me at risk and and so and so like coming to terms with all of that has been a lifelong process and and being able to to embrace my love for her my love for myself and and my um and and come to terms with you know with 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 who I was then who I am now and mm-hmm. and develop resiliency you know that's 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 always been a struggle and so that coming to terms with it, you feel like has happened in fits and starts, in dribs and drabs. Like, was there, was there periods where you felt like I'm not dealing with this, or did you do you feel like throughout your life you've always sort of been dealing with it on some level? No, I wish I could say that. I really wish I could say that I was I was like you know dealing with it, but no, absolutely not. I was a runner and a hider. And the, I, I think, you know, for the most of my life, I was always looking to escape, to, you know, to run away through, through alcohol, drugs, people, scenes, you know, like work. I, I will, I will use anything to distract me from, from, you know, the, the whole inside of me. And, and it's actually been, you know, within the past, like, um, I would say about eight years that I've been actively, actively trying to like button all of that up or at least get some clarity on that and, and, um, and do the, do the work that, that I couldn't do when I was young and then, and then willfully neglected to do as, as an adult, as a, you know, as a young adult and as someone who's in her adult years, I just, I still didn't have the wherewithal. So, um, and I mean, in my book, like, I don't think it's ever too late. And I think most of the people I talk to generally do come around to it in their forties, thirties and forties, but it sounds like you have some feelings. And I think many of us do that like, Oh, I should have done this earlier. I should have done it sooner. Like, how do you, how do you feel about that? Yeah, that's so, you know it's true. I feel that. I feel like, oh wow, if I only would have dealt with this, you know, sooner, I could have run the world. I mean, you know, like what might I have accomplished? <laughs> and it's just such a ridiculous thing because you know, you come to it when you come to it. You're you're able to deal with it when you are able to deal with it. And 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 no amount of pushing, you know, pushing for healing is really going going to work until you can just sort of like surrender into into what happened to you and 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 get dirty you know mm-hmm. get in get into all of the stuff that is so unpleasant and sad and 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 a lot of people myself 
included very, very much so can't yet. You know, they they have mm-hmm. to have like some mm-hmm. sort of some sort of stability in order to be able to get in there. And um, right. for me, I found that I found it when I found it. So you know, I'm I'm I try not to put that kind of pressure on myself anymore, and just allow myself the luxury of 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 healing and and feeling feeling the grief that I didn't allow myself to feel. You know, feeling the grief that I ran away from right. for so many years, it's um, it's such it's such right. a luxury. It it feels at this point in my life like I can hold it, like I it, and it won't engulf me. Like I I see it for what it is. I see it not as a trap or something that will define my life, but as a privilege, and as a as as proof of love as proof of deep feelings and as as the unexpressed nature of 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 a relationship and you know um i i cannot i can't express my love for my mother um to her but i can express it in the kind of life that i live and i i understand that now and and it's become a source of 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 comfort rather than a source a source of a source of depression or or you know or punishment. Mm. I love that you say it's such a privilege. Um, I feel the same way. I feel like with so much distance, I can actually I don't, I don't want to say enjoy, but it's close to enjoy my yeah. grief you know? Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah. And it's funny. I could be in therapy and, and mention like my mother might come up and the feelings might come up and, and the therapist might be like, Oh, you know, <laughs> here comes that. And I'm like, no, no, this is good. I love this. I love when this happens, you know, cause to yes. me, it's like, you're saying it, it's like a link to her. Yes. And, and it's, you know, taking that that viewpoint where you can you can just turn it turn it on its side as to what grief is supposed to be where you know like um like this this wailing woman clawing at her at her hair and beating her chest that's not who i see myself as but i do you know i i see myself as feeling as feeling the love and the sad the, the luscious sadness of that of that love you know yeah. that that grief can actually be a very very deep sensuality and mm. and and beautiful expression of mm. um of of what the person meant to you yeah and it doesn't it doesn't have to it doesn't have to steamroll you it can actually just be something that is apart from you that you that you notice and you live with and and you and you can also just like have it have it be there when it is there and and walk by it nod nod to it give it a wink and a smile (laughs) i love that just i want to go back to something you said you said um oh you know if i dealt with it earlier i could have you know where like i could have taken on the world so do you do do you think like in some ways that it did hold you back i because it doesn't look to me like you were held back in any way. It's so funny. It's so funny. I do feel that. And I don't know that that's just not this kind of um, streak that I had 
in order to be noticed as a child, I always had to be really, really talented and really, really good at things. And that's when people would be like, oh, Yvette, do you know, recite that poem for the for the family, you know, those kinds of things. I always got a lot of props by being excellent at things. And so so like I always feel that achievement and as has has been the way I I um I get love. And so my my fallback is always like, if only I didn't, you know, if only I didn't have this flaw, you know, the, these things that that held me back, I could have done so much better. Instead of just enjoying that I'm doing really well, you know, that that I, I was gonna say, yeah, <laughs> I know. What am I asking of myself? <laughs> what do I actually need? If it's crazy when you think that that like. That like, even in, you know, even, even when I see objectively that, that yes, this is a good life. This is a good, successful life that, that I will still, you know, try to find a way to be ashamed about it. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about that. I think those two things are connected through shame. Like somehow shame is the through line that makes you feel less than. And so no matter what you do, no matter how much you achieve or how, happy you are even you still have that feeling of like oh it's not enough Mm -hmm. totally totally and and I mean I often like try to sort of ponder well what would enough even look like um you know like like what am I asking my life to be instead of something that that where where I where I understand myself I've got a great support structure where I love what I'm doing and I love what the people around me are doing and I respect them and they respect me. How amazing is that? But yeah, right. <laughs> like, like how can I still ask more? Um, but, but again, I think that, that these are these traps that, um, mm. that you just want, want to hopefully sort of like notice them and be gentle about falling into them. But, but yeah, there they are nonetheless, because I think shame is so, it's so tricky. It's, it's so tricky because it's like, it's like this little monster hiding beneath so much beneath anger, beneath fear, beneath, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. if I have a rage, I know there's a shame in back of that somewhere. Um, Mm -hmm. There's. I I do think like young people who lose a parent, but also who have a parent who's different and who, you know, isn't waiting for them at home with a plate of cookies. Um, (laughs) There's shame around just being different than your friends. And there's shame around like that loss um, because it suddenly you're very different and suddenly your family structure is very different. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't have that kind of um, general support system that so many of your friends have of like, they have, two parents they might not be together but they still have two parents um Mm -hmm. so I do feel like that shame is such a big part of adolescent grief because suddenly you're different and that is really hard for a kid absolutely I mean it was and and no matter what I would you know do I, I could never outrun the shame. It, it got so much better when I was, um, when I was at CalArts because I, I found a community where most people were like me 
you know, that, and most people were processing something, working through something in the same ways that I was working through those things by either, you know, making art, dancing, doing theater. Like it was such a, such a community where I could finally share grief and shame and sadness with people in, and not feel like I'm going to lose all my friends now. Um, and feel like that actually is bringing us closer together that we're, that we, we understand each other on a deeper level. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel so grateful too, for all my creative outlets. I think that's such an important part of kind of being able to process your feelings, especially throughout your twenties when you might not even realize you're doing it, but you are doing it, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So if you could go back in time and tell something to your younger self, like some, you know, some advice or reassurance, what, what do you think that would be? Or what comes to mind? I, I would, I would say, um, slow down. You're enough. Enjoy this moment. I think that's the biggest one. Enjoy this moment. Even when they're bad, Mm. enjoy that moment. Be in this because that was, I was never in the moment. I was always afraid of the moment, afraid of the feeling running away from the moment. So being able to just be still in the moment is a gift that I would, I would love to have, have given my younger self if I, if I could, if I could possibly. Mm. That's so perfect. I think that is one of the big keys to not just to grief, but to life itself. So I think that's a perfect place to, to end it. Um, I want to thank you so much, Yvette, for coming on. This has been oh. such a joy to talk to you and to learn so oh, much Anne, more about you. It's always you. just in, in, exceedingly wonderful to talk to you. I, I just like always, I always discover so much about myself and about you and about, you know, feelings in general when we speak. It's just, it's awesome. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> Yay. Woohoo. Oh Thanks so much for listening. If you like the podcast, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. That's the best way to um, make more people aware of the show. And I want to thank Josephine Wiggs for the music. This song is from her album, We Fall.